Psalm chapter 33. If you take your Bibles, join me in Psalm chapter number 33. Hey, how many of you have ever had someone do something for you, but you didn't know who it was? They did something nice for you anonymously. How many of you have ever had that before? Any of you, just out of curiosity, because we're in a college environment, a college setting, we're called Campus Church, any of you ever have someone pay something on a bill in college, but you didn't know who did it? Raise your hand. Okay, several folks out there. You know, sometimes someone does something and you want to offer some, I don't know, appropriate thanks because they've done something kind, it was a thoughtful gesture, something meaningful, but you, you didn't know who it was. How many of you have ever received a kind note? Sometimes we see, receive anonymous notes and they're the kind that you shouldn't spend a lot of time reading, but how many of you have ever received a kind note, a, a note of appreciation, of thanks, but they didn't sign their name, it was just a thoughtful note? How many of you have ever received one of those? Lots of people have. The, the challenge, the dilemma that that places us in is we want to know who is the person that I should offer some kind of an appropriate um, expression of gratitude? Because they've done something on our behalf and there is something within us that wants to respond. I think that is intuitive in, in mankind. I think there is something that is built within us that understands there is always someone to be praised. Let me read a um, section. This is from a personal letter, but her name was Catherine Mansfield. She was born in 1988. She, excuse me, 1888. She died in 1923. So she died fairly young. She was considered a rather brilliant writer, but she did not know God and her lifestyle did not reflect it. She, because of health reasons, moved to Switzerland and she was writing a friend. And I'm gonna read an excerpt from the letter. I read the entire letter earlier and, and let me read some excerpts from it. She's writing about Switzerland. She says, here, it is simply exquisite weather. We are so high up, 5,000 feet above the sea, that a cool breeze filters through from heaven and the forest air always airy. I can't imagine anything lovelier than this end of Switzerland. But since we have come up to the mountains, it seems lovelier still. We have taken a small, not very small, chalet here for two years. It is quite remote. In a forest clearing, the windows look over the treetops across a valley to snowy peaks the other side. The air feels wonderful, but smells more wonderful still. I've never lived in a forest before. One steps out of the house and in a moment one is hidden among the trees. And there are little glades and groves full of flowers with small ice cold streams twinkling through. It is my joy to sit there on a tree trunk. If only, if only one could make some small grasshoppery sound of praise to someone thanks to someone but who and then she goes on with her letter she's describing the beauty of the surroundings the place she finds herself in 
And then she says, if only one could make some small noise, some grasshoppery sound of thanks to someone, but to who? I received a text this week from a friend who is away with his family, and they are looking for a little family retreat, a little getaway, and they did some planning to try to get what sometimes we refer to as off the grid. Now, it's hard to get completely today off the grid, but they wanted to go to someplace rather secluded where they could just go and enjoy some solitude and the out of doors. And, and he sent me a beautiful picture from, from just the, the wonder of the surroundings. They were out hiking and, and there's a beautiful waterfall in the background and it's just, it's serene. And my answer was there is something of God that feels close when we are surrounded by his handiwork. To give thanks to someone, but to who? There is something that we're about to see in the psalm that is open before you that helps us understand who the someone is. And I mentioned earlier, whenever we receive something, something from someone and we don't exactly know who it's from, there's something in us that says, I wish I could offer my thanks. I, I want to express my gratitude. And I think mankind has within him, even as this author wrote, a desire to express our thanks. But she said, but to who? Your Bibles are open right now to Psalm 33. Look with me, if you will, beginning at verse number one. The Bible says here, rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with the harp, sing unto him with a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him with a song, play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. We don't have time to read the entire psalm, but fast forward, if you would, down to verse number 18. Psalm chapter 33, beginning in verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death, to keep them alive in the famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in thee. Now, the title of our message tonight is somewhat unique, but it comes from this psalm. And it is simply this, that looks good on you. That looks good on you. Okay, so husbands, how many of you have ever come out of your closet or out of the bedroom, wherever you got dressed? How many of you have ever come out and your wife sent you back in? How many of you have ever had that before? It happens to me on more occasions than I would like to admit. I'll come out with a tie and a shirt or some combo and I'll walk out and, and I'll say, okay, what do you think? And she'll just kind of, I know before she says anything. I know immediately she's just like, I'm like, no, no, don't say anything, you know, go back in. And now there are those rare occasions where I get it right and, and I'll come out and, and wear something that she likes and, and she'll look at me and I like these words. She'll say, that looks good on you. What the Bible is about to 
reveal to us is there is something that looks good on any person who wears it. There is something about this covering that is always in style. It's never that thing that you show up and you say, oh, I wish I would have known what other people were wearing. There is something about what's revealed to us in this psalm that for any person, at any time, at any place, who finds themselves covered in this will find that they are rightly attired. What we're about to see in this passage that's before us tonight is is basically two things. The first thing that we see is we see this call to praise. He's saying, all right, here's something I'm calling you to do. And then he goes on and through the course of the psalm, he not only gives us the call, but then he gives us the cause, the cause to praise. You and I, we're not built to just, like we're not built to love without an object. Okay. A person, you can't just say, oh, they, they just love every... No, 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 no. Love has to have some recipient. It has to have an object. And praise is the same. Praise is one of those things that's not just a, I'm just, you know, I just am always so grateful for everything. No, praise has to have some specific object in mind. And what the psalmist does before us, and by the way, we don't really know who the, the human author is. It's one of those things where I think God is saying to us, I want you to focus on the content as opposed to the human creator, the one whose hand was used. He puts before us something that is instructive. He's giving us a call to praise. And look again at the first word. The first word is simply rejoice. Rejoice. Now, I don't know about you, but... But we're at, again, I've, I've mentioned we are in a, a, on a college campus, and so there are cycles that take place in college campuses. There are times when, when people assemble, and, and if you're here and you're part of a faculty or a staff, when things gear up, and, and then there are things when students, you know, they're just, they're, they're gone. They're hitherto and yon. And, and so we have this ebb and flow. I don't know where you are in your personal ebb and flow, but no matter where we would be meeting, there is some natural like, oh, we're at the end of a school year. The kids are done with school. We're, we're on the brink of summer. And sometimes at the conclusion of something, there is a weariness where we're trying to make it to some conclusion. Like I just have to push and get to and and sometimes the last thing on our minds when we get to the conclusion of something is rejoice. If you, if you consider the literal meaning of the word rejoice, the, I mean, if you just break it down, what does the word actually literally mean? The word simply means, you could define it in one word, and it's defined as overcome. To overcome. You say, what does that have to do with rejoice? I think in biblical terms, what God is saying is there is a means by which you can overcome the circumstances, maybe the weariness, maybe the like, oh, I just don't know if I can continue to press on. He's saying there is something that allows you to be defined as one who will, in fact, overcome. 
we would say that true rejoicing is always connected to an undeniable, unalterable, and absolute trust in God. Is there ever a time when God is the one who is scrambling? Is there ever a time when God has to regroup and figure out a new plan? Is there ever a time when someone gets literally the upper hand on God? And the answer to that is absolutely not. He's the one who is ever and always the victor. So when we start to think about, okay, how is it that I can overcome? Well, you rejoice in the one who always does. Certainly there are times that trust comes with some measure of ease. There are seasons of our life when we trust the Lord with some, I don't know, some sense of this is, this is not so hard. But there are other times in life where to trust God requires some measure of head knowledge, not just heart response. That God, I'm going to trust you because of what I know about you, not because of what I feel about you. Genuine trust is often, and some, it's sometimes forced upon us. Like genuine trust, God begins to, I don't know, close the, the sides of the walls in on us. We get in these narrow places. We feel like we're squeezed from one side and the other. It's like, God, I don't know exactly what to do here. And God's putting us in a place where the only thing we can do is to trust him. Have you ever been in places like that before? I mean, you look back over your own personal journey, your own history. Can you look back and find times where it's like, wow, Lord, I, I can't do anything here. I can't do anything here. The only thing I can do that's left in front of me, the only thing I can do is to trust you. It's not an unfamiliar story biblically to us, so you'll have some mental frame of reference when I mention his name. He was in his 14th year of his reign, and Hezekiah finds that he is being hemmed in. In fact, when you study, there, there are parallel passages from 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. But when you study the passages, you almost get the idea that Hezekiah is just kind of humming along really nicely. And he's trusting God with a greater sense of ease. But now things start to narrow. Those walls start to close in on him. And those means of, of the crutch of, of trust starts to be removed from him. Those things that kind of prop him up are no longer there. And the only thing he has to rely on is the strength of his God. L let me read a passage of scripture. I'll, we'll put it on the screen for you to see as well. Second Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse number 19. And Rabshakeh, he's one of the messengers from Sennacherib, king of Assyria. And Rabshakeh said unto him, they're bringing this message, speak ye now to Hezekiah. Tell him this, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Okay, now he's questioning, what are you trusting in? Thou sayest, but they are vain words, I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Look at this next, verse number 21. Now behold, thou trustest upon the staff of this bruised reed, even upon Egypt. 
on which if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt unto all that trust on him. But if he say unto me, we trust in the Lord our God, is not that he whose high places, whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away? And has said to Judah in Jerusalem, ye shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. He's saying, hey, listen, even Hezekiah took away some of the places that you set up to worship your God, the high places. You you, you said you're trusting in Egypt. Listen, go ahead and trust in Egypt, but you go ahead and lean on that staff and that staff will pierce your hand. What he's saying is all those things that kind of propped you up are completely removed. And Hezekiah understood it. And maybe at times in your life, and I don't know where you're at right now, but maybe at this point in your life, God seems to be removing some of those things that have been propping you up. Some of those things that you've been relying upon. Some of those things that you may have been yourself leaning upon. And God says, I'm going to remove those from you. Well, there's only one place now that Hezekiah can go. And and, uh, let's see what takes place. Second Chronicles, we'll, we'll look at the parallel passage. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 21 and 22. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah and they were smitten. This doesn't appear to be different from what we read in Psalm chapter 33, verses 2 and 3. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right and his works are done in truth. Do you know what it is that God's people have to come to? They have to come to a place where they say, Lord, you can use all kinds of different things to to support me, but ultimately my lean has to be on you. And when everything else is in a sense pulled away and we can still rejoice, we can still come to this place where we say, okay, there is a way to overcome And the means by which we overcome is to recognize that God is exclusively enough. When you and I rejoice in the Lord, we have acknowledged with our praise that our God is greater than our circumstances. Consider how fickle your circumstances are. I mean, have you ever had a really great moment followed by a really difficult moment? I mean, just in a sphere of, 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 I mean, it could be minutes. Like, oh, that is so great. And then at the next moment, something, oh, that's so difficult. And, and then we just have these ups and downs in this roller coaster of experience. Really, when, when our circumstances are the means by which we find our consolation, we find we are on a very challenging roller coaster of a ride. Well, the first word that we find is rejoice. And then let's just, again, we're not going to walk through this whole psalm in such an incremental fashion, but look at the next few words. He says rejoice, and then he gives us again the cause by which we can do so. The call, rejoice, the cause in the Lord. While circumstances can be praised, there are so many times when they cannot. 
circumstances. In fact, let me rephrase that because it's not the best way to say it. We can be grateful for circumstances, but we can always praise our God. I don't know that circumstances are to be praised because they're orchestrated. Circumstances aren't aren't getting together to say, let's do this to so-and-so. But there is always a God who can be praised regardless of our circumstances. So rejoice in the Lord. In, in Spurgeon's Treasury of David, we read this. To rejoice in the temporal comforts is dangerous. To rejoice in self is foolish. To rejoice in sin is fatal. But to rejoice in God is heavenly. He who would have a double heaven must begin below to rejoice like those above. You know, we oftentimes talk about what's it going to be like someday when we are gathered around the throne and we are praising God. I wonder if God doesn't expect for us to get a little head start on that and to be gathered here, not around the throne in heaven, but to be gathered around the name of our God. And we come together and and a little taste of heaven. Hey, how many of you have ever had that little I don't know, you're, you're seated in an in a auditorium just like this. How many of you have ever been sitting here, man, I have, sitting right there, listening to the Rejoice Choir and Orchestra as they come together in this magnificent praise? Have you ever had that little taste of heaven because they're just focusing on the greatness of our God? And you know, when your mouth offers that, you say, well, I'm not really a singer. No, but you can be a sayer appraiser of our God, rejoice in the Lord. The source. In this source, we can always find an opportunity to praise. Philippians 4.4, 4, we, we have this on little plaques in our homes. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It may be that our most pure most delightful prayers in the presence of God are those that spring forth from a hospital bed or when a child has gone astray and broken your heart or when a spouse has been unfaithful or when a loved one is taken or when the weight of an uncertain future is weighing heavy upon your brow. When we rejoice in the Lord during those times of heaviness of heart, we may find that our rejoicing in the Lord resonates most sweetly in the courts of heaven. Well, he says rejoice in the Lord, and then he uses another word that, that I did. We don't use this word a lot, but it's a word that I grew up hearing my dad say. He says, for praise is comely. Praise is comely. I don't know where my dad picked up the word. Maybe he picked it up from Psalm 33. But my dad used to say, especially if any of us kids had an attitude that was less than beautiful. My dad would say something like, that's not very comely. What he's saying is, hey, listen, straighten up because that doesn't look very good on you. But what the psalmist says here, he says, there is something that looks good on you. And it is praise. Now, this is true. We know that there are some things, if this is happening, then that can't be happening. When I am not trusting the Lord, I have sealed my lips to praise of the same. 
when I'm not trusting. Now I'm fretting, I'm, I'm worrying, I am plotting, trying to figure out how can I work this out. I'm doing anything but praising. Okay, what am I going to do? How's this going to resolve? I have to figure out. It, it is anything then except for the praise of our God. Again, Spurgeon said this. When saints wear their coral robes, they look fair in the Lord's sight. Praise, not comely form, unpardoned professional singers. It is like a jewel of gold in a swine's snout. Crooked hearts make crooked music, but the upright are the Lord's delight. Praise is the dress of saints in heaven. It is fitting that they should try it on below. I mean, how many times have you heard the words, hey, try this on, try this on. Well, do you know what God's offering us to do right now before we get to heaven? We talk about we're going to have those robes of white and heaven. Really, this robe of praise, he's saying, here, try this on. It looks good on you. Are you bound to praise your circumstances? How volatile then our life becomes. We become like this, this light ship on a rather tumultuous sea. Have you ever watched those great ocean liners just navigate so smoothly through oftentimes very troublesome waters? There's something that is, I don't know, stable about the craft. Not that it can't have some ebb and flow, but wow, it cuts through the, the mighty torrent with an ease that's often surprising. And do you know what praise, praising the Lord does for people like me and people like you? Not our circumstances, not the fact that everything's going well, we can be grateful for, but regardless of the, the ease or the challenge, when we rejoice in the Lord, there is something that is greater than our circumstances. If you're praising the one who is not tossed about by the wind, but actually rides upon it, then you can always have someone to praise. I love this passage. It's, it's another one of those beautiful passages. Psalm, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 33. Listen to beginning in verse number 26. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun. That's like a, a special word for Israel. It's this Israel perfected. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun who rideth upon the heaven in thy help and in his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon the land of corn and wine. Also his heaven shall drop down dew. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency. And thine enemy shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. God calls his people happy people. Why does he do that? Because there is no one like the child of God who knows 
upon whom they are leaning, where their trust is anchored. Notice the ending of our passage, Psalm chapter 33, beginning in verse number 16. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. And then look at verse number 20. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Those are some beautiful concluding words. This is not just our call, this is the ultimate cause for rejoicing. Again, I don't know what the sea of life is treating you like right now. The sea may be rather calm. It's like, wow, this is a nice day to be out on the water. It may be rather tumultuous when you start to look, on, look around and wonder like the disciples when, when water seems to be filling the boat and we cry out, Lord, we perish. I don't know what it's like, but I do know that there is one who is in the midst of it all. This was years ago, and we were in Mexico with um, a group of teenagers on a mission trip. And the missionary um, took us out to a place on the coast, and he chartered a boat for us to go out and spend a couple hours with a group of teens deep sea fishing. Well, he sent us out on the boat, and... and um, he didn't go, so he just sent me, teenagers, and, um, and two Spanish-speaking um, people taking care of the boat, so it was us, and it was beautiful, and I can remember, you know, taking off, and we're going some miles away from the shore. We're going so far you can no longer see land, and, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to fish for some, some, you know, big fish. Well, we kind of drew numbers to see who would get to fish first, and and um, I don't know if they're here tonight or not, but, but one of the sons of, of our couple, Dwight and Cheryl Reed, their son Matt was on that trip. And Matt drew the first number and Matt got to sit in the chair and, and cast out the line. And, and Matt actually caught, landed a very large sailfish. It was big, okay? And I mean, he fought with that thing, and he's in the chair, he's rigged up, he's bringing, he finally landed that thing. It was massive. Well, while he's doing that, of course, the next person, they're going to fish next, and then the next person and the next. But while he's fishing, I'm kind of, I didn't do a number, so I'm just there. I'm kind of having fun with the kids and, and with Matt as he's bringing in this massive fish and and we watched and we started to see, do you know when you're out in the ocean and there's no buildings and there's no trees, you can see different weather patterns come in. And we saw off in the distance, this is like, you know, remember when Elijah prayed and there was a cloud about the size of a hand, you know, it's way off in the distance, but that hand started to get bigger and it started to get closer. 
Well, I'm telling you, I mean, we were out there in such beautiful weather, sun shining. It was just this idyllic time. And before long, this storm moved in and the waves came along with the storm. Well, we got his fish in and that was it for fishing. The two guys that spoke no English and I spoke no Spanish, they're um, uh, more animated. So they get going and well, now, man, we're trying to get back. And I'm telling you, that boat is going all over the place. We're, we're, this thing is really moving quite a bit. And some of the kids are not accustomed to, and, and now they're nauseous, and, and it's just, it's getting to be, you know, a little, it's not quite as pleasant as the trip out. Okay. And then something happens with the, the motor on this boat. Now, it's an, it's an inboard. It's, it's, you know, the, there's a cover and the, the, the motor is underneath and, and you can hear there's something not right and then the motor dies and we're in the midst of a storm. And now, with no direction, that boat is getting tossed all over the place. Well, do you know, I did, I suppose that I was calling on the name of my God before, but I did some serious praying when the, the motor stopped. Now, I have two guys, and I don't know what they're saying, but they take the cover off, and really their heads are down in this, um, in this engine compartment, and, and the kids that, that are able to, they're praying, and I'm praying, and um, they're looking up at me, and they're saying stuff, and I don't know, and I'm looking at them, they're saying stuff. That there's not a lot of communication, but I think we're all talking to one who understood, okay? And um, they're working, trying to get this boat going. And there, we're in the middle of a major storm. Well, I don't know that I've ever heard, at least to that point in my life, a more beautiful sound than when I heard them get that motor going again. And so the engine kicked on and, and a boom, you know, we're, we're still, it's still a rough storm and there's rain and, and wind and waves, but, but we never made it back. No, we did, of course, we, we made it back. I, I find that my call upon God was much more, um, I don't know, much more pressing. When the boat's not running, when the sky's not clear, when the waves are high, he has my attention. I guess the question is, does he still have our praise? To rejoice does mean to overcome is it possible that what God is waiting for in the midst of the storm of our circumstances is the very thing that allows us to overcome the challenge? When God's people formed singers and the armies that had assembled against them were pressing in hard, the very thing that triggered the response from God was their song of praise. Ron Hamilton is now recently graduated to heaven, but it was his challenge that wrote his most recognizable song. Rejoice in the Lord. And may, by God's grace, people like you and people like me, regardless of the storm, regardless of the ease or regardless of the lack thereof, May we find that we readily are overcomers because we have not only a call, but a cause 
and that is the Lord our God, in whom we can always rejoice.